Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Let's get started. Did you know that on jamesmillerlifeology.com, you can enroll in the academy I created for listeners just like you? I've created courses you may take at your own pace, which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Enroll in one of the classes today. I have a great show for you today. We're going to be speaking about unshakable determination. I'll also be interviewing author Debbie Ropolo, who's going to share her incredible story of determination and overcoming many of life's obstacles. You all know me as a psychotherapist, but some of you may not yet know me as a composer. I currently have two albums which have been released. Think of both albums like books. Each composition is composed like a chapter in a book. The first album, Consolation, explores heartache and pain as a character moves to finding healing and hope. The second album, Restoration, explores a character's awakening and being restored to something greater than before. You may purchase these albums on iTunes or any other digital music store. The names of the albums are Consolation and Restoration, and my stage name is James S. Miller. The name of the piece you are currently hearing is from the second album, Restoration, entitled Introspection. The pencil maker took the pencil aside just before putting him into the box. There are five things you need to know, said the pencil maker. Before I send you out into the world, always remember them and never forget, and you will become the best pencil you can be. Number one, you will be able to do many great things, but only if you allow yourself to be held in someone's hand. Number two, you will experience a painful sharpening from time to time, but you'll need it to become a better pencil. Number three, you will be able to correct any mistakes you might make. Number four, the most important part of you will always be what's inside. And lastly, number five, on every surface you are used on, you must leave your mark. No matter what the condition, you must continue to write. The pencil understood and was determined to fulfill his purpose. You are just like this pencil. You have a unique purpose specifically designed for you. You can accomplish anything you dream of if you hold it with unwavering determination. Unshakable Determination In everything we do, and in every choice we make, we have to be determined. Regardless of what our peers say, regardless of what our fears are, our level of determination is going to determine how successful we are. One of the things that many people struggle with is the initial failure of something. When this failure happens, many people can become very discouraged and often not want to try again. One of the famous quotes by Thomas Edison was, he stated, he found 10,000 ways not to create a light bulb. Which I think is very interesting because after the first time, you would think he would be discouraged. And even after the hundredth time, you would think he would be discouraged. But he had that tenacity. He had that determination that regardless of what his current circumstances state, regardless of what he feels, or regardless of what he's experiencing, he had the determination to continually try something because he had a dream. And that's the same type of thing with each one of us. We have to have this unspeakable determination. When you close your eyes and you can envision the dream that you have coming to pass, that is when you will succeed. Regardless of what the external circumstances are in your life, will determine how quickly you bounce back. The reframe we have in any situation determines how successful we're going to be. Any setback could be a setup for failure, but the way I like to look at it is every setback is a setup for a comeback. In other words, it's the reframe. Do you look at something as a learning experience or do you look at something that has defeated you? Depending on the direction in which you focus will determine how successful you're going to be. So if you've tried things in the past and they've been very difficult and for whatever reason you know in your heart that it's something that you should continue to do, if you give up now, 
Who knows? Right around the corner, your breakthrough may happen. But you have to have this unshakable determination that regardless of what you're experiencing today, it is going to launch you or propel you into the next level of your life. You want to surround yourself with those people who can hook up with your dream. There are some people who are well-meaning people who may discourage you from doing that which you know is right for you. And sometimes when we're already insecure about launching out, when we hear those negative comments, it often stifles our dream and we never actually start. So before you even start, you want to surround yourself with those people who can encourage you, who are going to be your cheerleaders, who are going to give you that encouragement when you're struggling. Just because you have a dream doesn't mean everybody's going to understand it. Just because you have certain friends does not mean that they're going to be able to support you during this time. The stronger your foundation is, the greater the determination you're going to have to become successful in everything you do. A quick example of one of the courses you'll find in the academy entitled, When All Hell Breaks Loose. (laughs) We've all experienced those times when nothing seems to go right. This class will specifically train you how to process the event, regroup, and use what was thought as a stumbling block and turn it into a stepping stone. Enroll in the class today. I have the pleasure of introducing Debbie Ropolo. She's a mother, an author, and a special needs advocate. She is going to share her amazing story with us today. Thank you so much for being on my show, Debbie. Well, thank you for having me, James. It's a pleasure. You know, when I was reading your background information, you have had some amazing things in your life and some difficulties, but you were able to transcend that. So I'm really looking forward for you to be able to share your life story and all the things that you've learned for my listeners. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm glad to. Any way that I can help someone. Wonderful. One of the things that originally caught my eye was the advice that your father gave you when you were a child. Would you like to start the interview off with that advice? I would. I would. My dad was my hero. And of course, I listened to everything, well, almost everything that he told me. If I said I listened, yeah. If I said, oh, I listened to everything my dad told me, I'd be telling a little bit of a fib. But there there were always two pieces of advice, actually three that he gave me. One was, you can find humor in almost any situation. And whatever happens, try to find the humor in it, and it'll help you get through almost anything. Mm. The second bit of information that he gave me, James, was you could do anything as long as you put your mind to it. The only way that you're going to fail is if Mm. you don't try. Yeah. Well, that's a good point, because if you don't try at all, well, then obviously you're not going to know what the outcome is. So if you try and it didn't work, we didn't lose anything anyway, because you hadn't invested anything in it anyway. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, how did that then kind of create the foundation for you moving forward? Well, actually, I never did realize that I would be implementing that advice so young in my life. Like I said earlier, my father was my hero. He was my everything. But a few months before I turned 16 years old, my father kissed me goodbye like he did every morning in the summertime. And I was too sleepy to tell him goodbye. But I remember he looked at me a moment and then he walked out of my bedroom and walked out of the door And a few hours later, we received word that my father had been killed in a work-related injury. Oh, I'm so sorry, Debbie. At that age, you need your parents more than anything. Mm -hmm. You need that encouragement. You need that support. And I felt like that my world was crumbling to be cliche. 
and I didn't know what I was going to do. And of course, which is typical, I went through a phase where there was a lot of denial. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of anger. And of course, there were a lot of tears. But after a short time, I began taking walks in the woods. And that's where my father taught a lot of his lessons to me. We would take walks in the woods on Sunday afternoons, and he would teach me life lessons. It sounds like you had an amazing father. <laughs> it really does. I did. I did. And he never met a stranger. He was a retired Army person mm-hmm. and looked and acted tough as nails. But like I said, just a remarkable man. But as I said, I would start taking walks in the woods by myself, and it was almost like I could hear my father, that inner dialogue again. Yeah. And my mind, sweet, sweet, that was his nickname for me. Sweet, 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 oh, that's sweet. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was really, it was really odd. So we would get double takes sometimes if we were out in public and people knew Daddy had been in the army to hear him say "sweet, sweet." But <laughs> it was like I could almost hear him say again, "You can do anything as long as you put your mind to it." And I knew then that I could get through that time in my life. Would I miss him? Of course I would. Every of day of my life, I would be, I would miss him with every beat of my heart. But I remembered that he would also teach me that life does go on. Mm-hmm. And it's important to believe in yourself that you have the ability to go forth with your life. And the people who have left you would want you to be happy and to be successful. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, and I think that's an amazing that even after his passing, he was still teaching you. He that Those life lessons that, like you said, the inner dialogue was replaying, but it really solidified in that moment, one of his last gifts, if you will, was to give you such profound insight to be able to say, I am going to overcome this. I am going to be able to get through this. And then that then launched a series of more successes in your life. It did. It did. And shortly afterwards, I thought I wanted to be a girl's athletic coach. Um, mm-hmm. Sports was also my passion in high school, although sometimes in certain sporting events, I look like a gazelle on ice skates. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I do. Uh, People who know me will say, you played sports? Hmm, with your coordination? (laughs) I I did, but I thought I wanted to be a coach, and I attended uh, St. Edwards University in Austin, Texas. And uh, I was in my early 20s and I thought I had everything going for me. I had a beautiful young family, my husband and, and my son. I was a member of Alpha Sigma Lambda. So I thought I had everything going for me. And then one night, my senior year at St. Edwards, I became a victim of road rage. Oh my gosh. And as a result, I received over 250 stitches and staples in my head and in my face. Oh my gosh. Oh yes. I kissed the dashboard and the windshield the hard way. And I received nerve damage in my right arm. I remember lying in the hospital bed and a neurosurgeon telling me, you're never going to be able to use that arm again. And for the second time in my life, I thought my world was over. My hopes, Mm -hmm. my dreams. I remember just actually the day before standing in the gym during class and throwing a softball from one end of the gym 
to the other with my right hand and just reveling over the power in my right arm and being replaced with such an overwhelming sense of loss. But you know, James, again, I remembered what my dad said, and I'm, I'm going to say again, you can do anything you put your mind to it. And I have to give credit to my husband, John, as well. After I got out of the hospital, I came home. And my husband knows my stubborn spirit very well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. We're sitting at the table and he serves me a leg quarter, a chicken leg quarter. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and I looked at the leg quarter. I said, you're not going to pull the meat off the bone for me? He said, absolutely not. I'm not going to be around all the time. Said I'm right-handed. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my goodness, I love yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tough love. Yeah. Tough love. And I looked at him, and at first I thought he was a horrible person, but that tenacity kicked in again. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, okay, I can't use my right arm. Let's see what I can do with my left. And I've always been dominant in my right arms. Bit by bit, I started plucking that chicken off the bone. And with each bite I pulled off, it felt like a small victory to me. And it's amazing, again, whenever you decide that you're going to do something, what you can accomplish. Yeah. And it it really comes from that commitment as well. You may not know if you're going to be able to do it or not, but you're committed to try. You're committed to put your focus and your energy into that task. And that's when things change. You're like, oh, I may try this. I may not try it. Well, now you're not being committed. And in that, you're not going to have that focus or that tenacity, like you said. Exactly. Exactly. And James, that all came into play. After a few months, I continued to improve with my left hand and I began to write with my left hand. Mm. Right. It's amazing. It's, It's still constantly amazes me whenever one side of the brain isn't able to function properly, what the other side can do. It takes over. Yeah, it absolutely amazes me. But I decided that I would pursue my second passion, which was writing. So I started writing short stories and submitting them. And I wrote a story about my dad and his dog, Snowball. Mm -hmm. And the story was entitled, Some Snowballs Don't Melt. And I submitted that to Chicken Soup for the Dog Lover Soul. And I thought, chicken soup for the soul. Wow, they're never going to accept this. <laughs> well, I got a phone call one day and this lady said, I need to speak to Miss Debbie Ropolo. And she mispronounced the, the last name. So I thought it was a phone solicitor asking me to change my long distance service. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I hung up on her. And then, <laughs> and I thought, You know, I looked at the caller ID. Maybe I should call this lady back. And I called her back. And she said, this is Amy Newmark, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So I told her who I was. And she said, oh, yes, I've been trying to reach you. We like your story. We want to use it. That's how my writing career began. So I started writing and submitting things to newspapers and magazines and a few more chicken soup for the soul books. And I had my second son, Joseph, in the meantime. Mm -hmm. And again, James, for several years, everything seemed to be going wonderful. Whenever Joseph was four years old, I started noticing little things that were different about him. 
he had been saying his ABCs and one, two, threes and having simple one sentence conversations with me before his, his fourth birthday. But shortly after his fourth birthday, it was like someone turned off a light switch. Hmm. He stopped talking. I would take him to the grocery store, and if there was a large crowd, he did what I thought was throwing fits. And it seemed for no apparent reason. He would also do odd physical things like spinning in a circle Mm -hmm. and flapping. Flapping his hands, yeah. Right, flapping his hands and not making direct eye contact, and he would repeat. Mm -hmm. I did some research, and I called my mom on the phone and I said, mom, I've been researching. I think Joseph has autism. Even as a young adult, you want your parents to say, oh, you're silly. That, that's, that's, that's. Of course. Yeah. You want that, you want that affirmation or that confirmation that your worst case thought isn't true. Exactly. My heart began to plunge whenever she got very quiet. She said, honey, I'm glad you said something because I've been noticing it. Mm. And that's what I think. So we took him to the specialist. A couple of weeks later, we found a specialist, one of the best here in the state of Texas. And I thought, oh, everything is going to be fine. She's going to say that we're being, that we're just being overprotective. She did test on Joseph. And the next week she called us and she said, I want you to come in. I want to share the results. Okay. So we came in and she sat down across from me and she said, your son has autism. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And even though I knew in my heart of hearts, that wall of denial is just so thick. Some things can't get through it, even though you know it in your heart. I still, for several months, I said, oh, no, she's wrong. She's wrong. But then it starts sinking in. Yeah, My son has autism and I had so much sorrow. <sighs> and I'll be honest with you, I really resented going out in public. Because I resented going to restaurants and seeing people sitting there with what I thought were their perfect, typical children. Well, mine sat there and flapped his hands and rocked and squealed. And I felt everyone in the whole world was looking at me like I was a bug under a microscope. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. But I began to really, again, taking long walks at night, and uh, it helps me to reconnect, to rejuvenate, and to focus Mm -hmm. on on different things. Of course, it's very therapeutic. It's very relaxing. And again, I thought, okay, am I going to let this disorder define who my child is? Am I going to let it beat me? No, not a chance. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, my husband had the same attitude and we had already started finding therapies, but I started explaining to people out in public, well, the reason my son is acting like this, he has autism and autism Mm -hmm. is a neurological disorder. And I would explain to them and I would educate them. I started attending different seminars on what I could do to empower my child and to see what I could do to help people with other special needs within the community because it's it's what I wanted to do. It it became my passion. Well, it's interesting because in a way, I mean, that wasn't the direction you, of course, had expected your life to go, but 
all of a sudden that tenacity that you talked about, that drive, that I'm not going to allow this to define him, that pushed you into your purpose, if you will. I, I would just like to have people reflect on that, which I'm sure you already have. But the point is, is when we're blindsided with something, we have a choice. If we look at it in the sense of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Which is normal at first. But then when we go to that thriving component, we, when we realize that this is potentially pushing us in a direction that we may not have wanted to go, but this is where we truly find our passion, our drive, what we were supposed to do. And, and it's just so interesting to hear how random things, very traumatic things or, or not so traumatic things happen in our life. And that is really what navigates us to the future that we're supposed to have. Exactly. Exactly. And there is another thing I would like your listeners to realize as well. Certain things in life, especially if your child is diagnosed with a disability, the grieving process is normal. It's it's typical. But I want them to realize there's nothing that they could have done. It's not their fault. Yes. And it doesn't make them any less of a parent. And they're wonderful parents. They're warriors. And the key is to be strong for themselves and for their children and to never give up. Mm-hmm. So now tell me more about the, the special needs advocate. What, where does that come in? How does that play out in your life? There are so many people who do have special needs and there are some that have no voice. They have no way to say, this is what I need in my life. This is what mm-hmm. I need to have a better quality of life. I need help making my life more productive. So what we will do, we educate the parents of special need people. We help them to find resources. Mm-hmm. We've also appeared in front of the legislature lobbying for different bills. Wow. Uh, we talked. Oh, thank you. Actually, that's my husband more than me. He is a great orator. He's very energetic. He's very driven and mm. uh, very charming guy. And uh, actually, my uh, older son is also a great uh, advocate as well. Something that he pointed out to me whenever we were going through our, uh, our journey with uh, Joseph at the beginning of Joseph's autism is that the siblings of someone with special needs are often forgotten. That's a good point. It is. It is. And I didn't realize it, but he's absolutely right because you're in such a frenzy to find the right therapies that your child needs and uh, what the tools give them, the tools that they need to succeed. Even though you're not really forgetting your child, you're putting them on the back burner. Yeah. Well, all that energy that would be divided equally distributed to your kids, now a lot of that energy is going towards something that you hadn't expected or hadn't planned. And so you really want to take care of that. But just like you said, or your son said, the siblings don't get that attention that they typically would should that situation not be in the family's life. Exactly. Exactly. And, and he said, as a big brother, I feel like I should be able to fix whatever is wrong with my younger brother. And there's no way I can fix this. And it's frustrating and I'm scared because I really don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. We helped him attend some training with our statewide organization and we attend, we attend trainings ourselves. My husband and I formed our own parent support group here in San Marcos called Central Texas Autism Network. It provides support and resources to people with someone on the autism spectrum and other special needs. That's wonderful. That really is. Thank you. Thank you. Well, going back to your older son, if I remember correctly, didn't he overcome some things as well in his own life? 
He absolutely did. I'm going to go way back here. Okay. Uh, whenever Jonathan was born, it was a very difficult labor. Uh, I was in labor for 40 hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And till, and finally the doctor came in the room and said, we're going to do a cesarean. Yeah. That sounded wonderful to me at that point. Okay. <laughs> After 40 hours. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. But at the time he seemed typical. He seemed mm-hmm. to progress. But whenever he was a toddler, he wasn't talking. Mm-hmm. He had severe seizures. He just didn't have hardly any gross or fine motor skills. And so what we did is we started working with him on that, and in addition to the teachers in pre-K. And I'm very proud of him because he was very determined. He mm. didn't give up. And that lesson that I've been talking about that my dad taught me, you can do anything that you put your mind to. I began implementing it on him at a very young age. There were days that he would say, Mama, I, I can't hold this crayon. Mm. Say, well, you, you need to keep trying. You need to keep trying. Yeah. You can do this. I believe in you. And of course, there were days where I would be so tired and I would say, come on, if you color the picture, I'll give you a donut. Bribery <laughs> <laughs> sometimes worked. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> He participated in a 4-H speaking contest whenever he was 11 years old. And as a child who had very limited speech, he won on the district level. Oh, my God. Are you serious? That's amazing. I Yeah, it is. I Let me tell you, I was a mess. I shouldn't have worn mascara that day. <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> Lesson learned. I look like a raccoon. Same child who couldn't even hardly color whenever he was a toddler is now taking amazing photos with the camera. While he was in high school, he became an award-winning amateur photographer. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That it really is. is. He he just impresses me yeah. more than he'll ever know. And both my children impress me. Their drive and their ambition and their determination. And there's a story actually that I write about in one of my books, The Toilets Overflowing and the Dogs Wearing My Underwear. I <laughs> reference my that oh, that's a story in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found out, I'm going to digress a second. I found out that whenever you have children, that no cell phone is waterproof. <laughs> Especially whenever your son, your toddler son, throws it in the toilet and tries to flush it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, the other part of the title about the dog wearing my underwear, my older son has the same snarky sense of humor that I do. And one day he decided to put my oldest pair of underwear on the family dog. (laughs) Just as company was pulling into the driveway. I bet you're mortified. I was. My friend was saying, well, that's an interesting look for the dog, isn't it? (laughs) They're very gracious about it. They were. We love to laugh and have a good time and enjoy life. So nothing really shocks my friends anymore. Well, let's talk a little more about that book. So the toilet is overflowing and the dog is wearing my underwear. I've only had a chance to read snippets of it, but it is quite funny. It really is. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. All the stories, yes, 
they actually happen to our family. <laughs> That's even better. That's even better because it's 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 real life. <laughs> it is. It is. I will. I don't want to give the whole thing away, but yes, I did get a turkey caught on my hand. And oh my God. I patterned the book. Irma Bombeck and I seem to have similar senses of humor. Um, do you remember Irma Bombeck? Mm-hmm. My listeners may not, so you may want to tell them a little, little bit about her. Okay, Irma Bombeck was uh, one of the best, in my opinion, humor writers alive for many, many, many years. I believe that she passed away about 10 years ago, and she wrote a lot of humor stories about family life in suburbia and they were things that had actually happened to her and there's so much humor that you can find in day-to-day situations and Mm -hmm. and that goes back to what my dad also told me you can find humor in almost anything and I found as a parent there are some things either you can get angry about but is it going to matter five minutes from now probably not is it going to matter tomorrow or even five years from now. No. So you can look at it and like the example of my cell phone being flushed down the toilet, I wasn't happy at the time. (laughs) But I thought about it and I thought, okay, well, at least I know that no matter how much my cell phone rep tells me that the phones are waterproof, they're not. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. But there were some stories that Irma did write about day-to-day life, and she would always, like I said, try to find humor in things as well, but it would also have a very heart-tugging aspect to the stories as well. On a few of her stories, they would be very serious, and one of the stories that I have in my book is entitled, Life is Beautiful, Even When It's a Roller Coaster. And that deals with being a special needs parent and realizing that even though not every day is going to be perfect, life is still beautiful and that you can get through anything. Yeah, it's certainly true. I think a lot of it also has to do with the reframe of what on what it is you focus on in that situation. You can focus right. on the loss or you can focus on using the tenacity that you have to say, I can overcome this or I will overcome this or things aren't always going to be this way. Whatever mindset you have is going to determine how you navigate through it. Exactly. And and you can. You can mm-hmm. get through it. Yeah. And you're a testimony of that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now, Debbie, unfortunately, our time is about up. But if my listeners would like to find out more information about you and your book and, and all that you do, where would they find your information online? Well, you can go to my website, James, at Debbie, common spelling, D-E-B-B-I-E, Ropolo, R-O-P-P-O-L-O, all one word, Debbie Ropolo, dot Weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y, dot com. You can find my book, my publisher's website, dancingwithbearpublishing.com. Or you can find it on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or any other online bookseller. Excellent. Well, Debbie, it's been such a pleasure to get to know you, to hear about your family and all the lessons that your father taught you and how you're actually instilling those same lessons into your kids. So thank you so much for being a part of my show today. It's been such a pleasure. Well, thank you, James. It was an honor to be a part of it. I also want to thank you, the listener, for joining with us today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with us today. Also, please visit my website where you may enroll in the Lifeology Academy, read my published articles, and watch all my YouTube episodes I created just for you. 
If you'd like to become a show sponsor or become a guest, please visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.